guys. Stop. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome back to Aesthetically Displeasing, where we talk about all things spooky, stupid, and displeasing. I'm Nicole. I'm Melanie. And are we just gonna do we have any? Welcome things? back. I don't think we have anything. No, it's March and it snowed, and we're leaping forward tomorrow for daylight savings. <gasps> I know. For the for last the- time. Okay. I also thought that it was the last time mm-hmm. because I thought that they had passed the bill. The bill isn't passed. What? I didn't realize that. I'm looking it up. Yeah, because I just saw something in it. <clears throat> it was an article that was like, might be the last time we're jumping ahead. But it's also going to kind of make me sad because... Um, cause I've gone to work at the exact same time for the last six years of my life. Mm-hmm. So I know that two weeks right before daylight savings time, I get to drive to work and it's sunny and I'm really happy in the morning. Every, but then the time changes. Everyone else is happy because they have more mm-hmm. time in the afternoon, but then I'm back to driving to work in the dark again and I don't like it. Well, now you won't have to deal with that. Hopefully. So daylight savings time was created to... Um, it was for the cows. Was it? I thought mm-hmm. it was for, for the railroad system. It like saved energy. I thought it was for farmers. Maybe it was beneficial for multiple Maybe, people. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it used to save energy on like, I don't know, the industrial stuff. I don't know. Oh. Um, But then like since we've like evolved to not rely on like coal you know now that we have lights yeah (laughs) um it's not beneficial anymore it actually wastes money and so that's why like arizona doesn't do it oh okay we were both wrong oh germany was the first country to implement daylight saving time a gambit to maximize resources during the sunlit hours of world war (laughs) one This is World War One, not World War Two. <laughs> They're like, listen, we can't do this in the dark. We need to adjust this yeah. time. <laughs> hey, uh, guys, instead of fighting at seven a.m., like yeah. it's gonna be dark, but we're gonna change it so when we fight tomorrow, it's gonna be seven a.m. and it's gonna be sunny outside. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> they had to keep up with the morale of yeah. the war. <laughs> like, oh, we're getting up and it's dark outside again. <laughs> I don't even want to do this today. <laughs> oh, there's going to be people who I'm are like, sorry. I served in war. Fuck you guys. Hey, well, Props I'm glad to you. that you got some more sunlight out of it. <laughs> <laughs> At least no one listening fought in World War One. That's true. Well, and you know, there's not very many things that we can thank Germany for. That's true. Anything else? I, I have German. Like, I'm German. I'm German, too, <laughs> but I didn't ask to be alive. That's fair. Thank you, Mommy, for 21 <laughs> hours of labor and me dying and then coming back to life and traumatizing yes. you. Good job. Okay, so we got daylight savings. Yeah. Uh, me and you. Yay! <laughs> That's what we got out of Germany. Do they have any good food? No! So we got, like, sauerkraut and stuff. Oh, I love sauerkraut. You would love sauerkraut. You look like you would love sauerkraut. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? You just look like you like, because you know what? You like the stinkiest cheeses ever. That is true. 
Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So you you just look like you like stinky food. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Do you do you want to guess what my case is about today? Did you look? I did it, but I really like how you're excitedly wiggling your toes. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole's toe. Nicole is sitting on the couch crisscross and she just wiggle, 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 wiggle her toes. I don't know. What is it? I have no, I can't guess. Okay. So did you watch Making a Murderer? No. On Netflix? You didn't? No. I'm so bad about watching shows. But you watched the stupid one about tigers? Everyone watched that. It was the beginning of quarantine. Everyone watched that. This the series came out like right before we went. Well, right before I went off to Western. So you were. In, I was at, at Western, Western and I wasn't watching TV at Western. I don't know. We, yeah, I like didn't watch TV. Okay. My first couple years of Western. We kind of go to the gym. Do you know, we're like going for walks. Do you oh. know anything about the series? Did you like see anything about the series at no. all? Okay. So Making a Murderer was all about. This woman got murdered and <laughs> listen. Good so far. Stop. Uh, and this guy who was previously falsely convicted and imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit is then sentenced, like charged with this mm-hmm. murder. And so it's all about like how it's their perspective oh. on like, the murder and how he was like basically set up to just yes maybe i did watch this okay so then then his nephew like also got charged with it Mm -hmm. because he was like coerced into yeah maybe i did watch this anyways so is it about that yeah so i'm doing um teresa hallbach so the netflix series making a murderer captivated millions of millions on the murder of teresa hallbach except for you you know, I guarantee when you start talking about this, I'm going to remember it. Because also, when did this come out? Six years ago? Seven years ago? I can't remember back that far. 2016, yeah. Seven years ago. Ouch. Four score and seven years ago, uh, this show came out. Um. So, the murder of Teresa Halbach in 2005, and it, the series questioned the innocence of Stephen Avery and Brendan Dassey. While the series did its job of bringing attention to the case, it ended up overshadowing the true victim. Regardless of Stephen's innocence or guilt, Teresa Halbach, a 25-year-old woman, was murdered. Today, she will not be the cliff note to Stephen Avery's story, and I will attempt to expose all of the things the Netflix series left out in order to make their story look better. Screw you, Netflix. I just, I really, really hate... Don't get me wrong. I don't want people to be falsely, like, imprisoned when they didn't do something. However, at the end of it, there's still someone who was murdered. Yes. And the fact that I, I shit you not, I Googled this case. Mm -hmm. And there were maybe, like, three actual articles on her. That's what happened The rest of them are. Like, you know how everyone has a, a, a Wikipedia page? Mm-hmm. she doesn't <gasps> no so when you look it up it's Stephen avery's it's an entire page. yeah it's an and entire it's like netflix her. page or it's an entire netflix show and she doesn't even have her own wikipedia page yeah so hate it a lot 
So Teresa was born March 22nd, 1980 to Karen and Richard Halbach. Her and her siblings, Michael, Timothy, Kelly, and Katie, grew up on the family's dairy farm near Green Bay. And the farm actually started, her great-grandfather her great grandfather actually started it. So it was a three-generation three oh, awesome. farm. And her parents ended up taking it over. So she loved being, like, outdoors, helping caring for the animals, all that. Um, Teresa, what kind of animals did they have? I don't know. Probably cows. They're in Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> So, Teresa also loved to travel. Um, in college, she went to Mexico, Spain, and even studied abroad in Australia, where she learned to scuba dive. That's awesome. I, I was know. just thinking, I was like, wow, you're from Wisconsin? Like, yeah, I'd like to travel, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, like... And she wasn't just traveling, like, to, like, New York. Like, she's traveling out of the country. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, and I feel like a lot of people travel to Mexico, but to travel to Spain and Australia, yeah. that's huge. So she graduated um, from the University of Wisconsin Green Bay in 2002, and shortly after she took a job as a photographer in Green Bay, um, which she was actually like a portrait photographer, and then she worked on the side for Auto Trader magazine. Oh, so um, sometime after college, she ended up moving back to her hometown to live closer to her parents' farm. Um, she was described as very energetic and spontaneous, which I mean, like, makes sense with yeah. <laughs> studying abroad and scuba diving. Mm-hmm. She was outgoing and brave. Um, there was a source that said she was a friend to everyone, which Aww. just like broke my heart. And um, I think it was her ex-boyfriend, but I could be wrong, said that she could do anything with a camera. So like oh, she cool. could, she was really, really talented with photography. So... One residence she was very familiar with was the Avery Salvage Yard. So she had taken pictures of vehicles many times for Auto Trader at his property, but she was uneasy when she went around Stephen Avery. Ooh. So um, just a a rule of life, always listen to your gut. Yeah. <laughs> um, Teresa actually ended up telling a coworker that she felt uncomfortable Ooh. around Stephen Avery, but she's so dedicated and a hardworking person like she just put that aside and she's a woman to do her job that's we're, true we're used we're to dismissing to, our own our gut instincts yeah exactly have you ever heard about the the gift of fear hell yeah it's a book yes another book i uh started reading and didn't read it was making me really stressed out have you read it i've read part of it yeah me too it made me just really stressed well the out. first story is pretty i know aggressive. yeah that's what stressed me out it's like the first chapter of like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> On October 31st, 2005, Teresa went to Avery's salvage lot to take pictures of a vehicle for Auto Trader magazine, which, again, is what she had done many times before. Um, the vehicle was actually a minivan for sale by Stephen's sister. So that's why I'm curious if she was, like, more willing to go because it was for Stephen's yeah. sister and not her, not Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um, but evidence later showed that Avery actually called asking for Teresa using his sister's name. Ew. Yeah. So just a side note to keep in mind that witness witnesses reported seeing a bonfire on the night of October 31st on Avery's property. So a few days go by and Teresa's ex-boyfriend, Ryan Hilligus, 
I have no clue how to pronounce <laughs> it, realized she was missing. I don't know if they like lived together at the time mm-hmm. or what, um, but the family ends up officially reporting her missing November 3rd, 2005. There's a lot of theories about how her ex-boyfriend did it, but mm-hmm. I didn't go down in that rabbit hole because I think it's just another way to take away from yeah. Teresa and like not put blame on Stephen Yeah. So on October 5th, there's this huge search party of Teresa and two ladies who were a part of it, their names were Pam and Nicole, end up finding Teresa's Toyota RAV4 on Avery's property. Oh my God. So in the Netflix series, it like shows the whole lot Mm -hmm. and it shows where it was at and they try to say like they would never have seen it or whatever, which I think is weird. Yeah. So her car isn't just like sitting there. It's got tree branches covering the front end. It's got a sheet of plywood and a rusty car hood leaning against its side. And the license plates are stripped off. What? So like it looks like it's supposed to be hidden. Yeah. So during a later during a police search of of Avery's property, they end up discovering Teresa's license plate, a pair of handcuffs and leg irons, which I don't. Oh God, that is, um, in Stephen's house, and then dried bud, blood, dried bud, dried bud, dried blood in his bathroom, and outside in the burn pit, they find charred bone fragments later identified as Teresa's remains. What? Yes. And what does he try to say that, like, all that evidence was just planted there? Yes. What? Yes. And people like eat this shit up like if you go on google like there's theories like up the wazoo what? because you have to remember that like he was falsely com- and i'll get into it but like yeah. he was falsely convicted of a crime so he's suing the the police department yeah. at this time and so his his thing is just like yeah they are not wanting to pay and they realize that they did wrong and so they're just trying to frame me what yeah so there's a multiple day search warrant on avery's property when they find all of this but the second day of the search warrant brendan and his brother were driving avery's vehicle um when detectives end up stopping them and detectives end up seizing the vehicle and separating the brothers to talk to them and I'm sorry that I jump around a lot because, like, there's literally so much on this case, but nothing about what I actually yes. wanted to talk about. Um, so there's a lot of contention around Brendan Dassey, and I'll I'll get into it a little bit, but then um, I'll give you some background. So S- Brendan was Stephen Avery's 16 year old nephew, and his Ooh, 16, yeah, and his family lived in a trailer on Avery's salvage yard. Now. This property was not small by any means. It was a 40-acre property. My God. It had 12 buildings on it. Oh, my God. And it had over 40,000 automobiles, which is why they said, like, how did they find her car? Yeah. Um, But anyways, the contention around Brendan Dassey revolves around his speech and language impairment. So he started special education services in 1996 when he was seven years old. At this time, he had an IQ of 73. Oh, jeez. Then, in 2002, a school psychologist evaluated him again, where his IQ stayed pretty much the same. I think it was like 74. 
Um, she determined that he was borderline to below average range for his cognitive ability. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, she also concluded that he suffered from a learning disability. So Dassey had a speech and language impairment, and many said that he had a difficult time expressing himself. Mm-hmm. So back to when the detectives separate the brothers and talk to them. The inve- investigators used something called the read interrogation method. So this is where during the interview, they ask non-accusatory but behavior-provoking questions to gather information. So like they're just trying to kind of like fish for information mm-hmm. and kind of try to like piss you off yeah to try to like get you but also like give you the confidence that like they're not going to do anything so they oh. like would keep repeating like you're not going to jail mm-hmm. like it's fine and then when the investigator is fairly certain of the suspect's guilt they begin the interrogation oh. which the investigator would present the suspect with moral excuses of committing the offense mm-hmm. so like did did Steven like bribe you to do it mm-hmm. or did he pressure you to do it? And yep. it's okay if you like feel pressured to do mm-hmm. it. So this method of interrogation is known for producing false confessions. <clears throat> oh my gosh. And it is also an adult interrogation tactic that is being used on a child. Yeah. With a learning disability. Well, and not just a learning disability, but like the fact that he has a low IQ. Like I have a mm-hmm. boy like that in my class and like, He's just slow. Like he has, like he's in mm-hmm. a third grade class, but he has the mind of a kindergartner and can only mm-hmm. like express his needs and wants like a kindergartner. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Yeah. Um. So, the questioning by detectives on November sixth, two thousand five, was in their squad car with the door closed. So, like they say, like he knew he was free to leave, but you're. You're in a car with the door closed. And if it's a they, police car, you can't get out from the back seat. Right. You can't just get out. They they took his vehicle that he was driving. So he has like no way of like going anywhere. Yeah. Was he going to go run away? Yeah. I don't know. The detectives start suggesting information like, hey, did you see Halbach in her car? Do you remember seeing it this time? Like they're, mm-hmm. they're asking very... They're suggesting a lot of information. They also ask about the bonfire Avery was planning on having on October 31st. So I'll get into some of his um, interrogations. But eventually, Brendan Dassey confesses to aiding Stephen Avery with Teresa's murder. Oh, my gosh. He stated that um, they both raped Teresa (gasps) before stabbing and choking her and burning her body in the fire. Oh, my God. Now, again, false confessions. Yes. I don't know how much of that is true. Yeah. But the false confessions definitely did not help with being, making it sound like they were framing Stephen Avery. And it, this reminds me of the West Memphis Three also mm-hmm. because the, because they were like asking that kid with a disability, they were saying like, oh, did you do this? Like. They were giving him the words that all he had to say was, oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. So on November 8th, so just three days after the search, Avery reports that he fears authorities were trying to frame him 
because he was suing the Manitowoc County for $36 million for wrongful conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I will get into that. But he was, he was, he spent 18 years in prison for a rape that he was cleared of mm-hmm. and he was freed in 2003. So 2003, 2003 <coughs> he was out for two years mm-hmm. before she dies. Mm-hmm. So Avery is arrested the next day based on past convictions and burglary. Um, and he also was charged with pers- possessing a firearm as a felon because there was two yes. guns in the trailer. Okay. His past convictions of burglary. Is there a burglary to rape pipeline that I don't know about? His, I'll talk about his past. In a okay. Bit, but his past does not. Do we win any favors? No. Okay. So in on November 15th, he was charged with first degree intentional homicide and mutilation of a corpse. Ooh. So on February 14th, 2006, Avery finally settles the lawsuit against Manitowoc County and he gets $400,000. He uses all of this money to then get really good attorneys mm-hmm. for him. Um, on March 2nd, Brendan Dassey is charged um, charged in adult court for first-degree intentional homicide, mutilation of a corpse, and first-degree sexual assault, um, which this charge is based on videotaped statements that he rec- recants all of them mm-hmm. later. So <clears throat> uh, January 29, 2007, um, the sexual assault and kidnapping charges against Avery are dropped because Dassey's not going to testify against him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the trial begins on February 12th, 2007 on March 18th, they have a deliberation for 22 hours over three days and the jurors convict Avery who was 44 at the time with first degree intentional homicide and felon and a felon in possession of a firearm. Mm-hmm. And he is acquitted of the charge of mutilation of a corpse, which I don't know how because she's in the fucking burn. Yeah, pit. that they like have actual concrete evidence for. They don't even need anyone to testify against him to prove that. Right. So then April 16th, 2007, Dassey, who is 17 now, goes to trial in Dane County. So they move him to a different county because of jurors and the bias mm-hmm. and all that. So on April 25th, after four and a half hours of deliberation. The jury convicts Dassey of being party to first degree intentional homicide, mutilation of a corpse and second degree sexual assault. So he gets mutilation of a corpse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Isn't that great? Um, June 1st, Avery is sentenced to prison life in prison without possibility of a role of parole. And August 2nd, Dassey is sentenced to mandatory life in prison without possibility of parole mm-hmm. set in Set for November 1st, 2048. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so in December of 2015, Making a, Making a Murderer was released on Netflix. Um, just the the doubt on the legal process mm-hmm. used to, to convict the two. And then shortly after that, a year, about a year after that, August 12th, 2016, the judge throws out Dassey's conviction. And I'll, I'll get into that. Too. That was when we met. Yeah. August of 2016. It was like the 23rd or something. <clears throat> yeah. So 
let me get into Avery's past and then I'll go back to the evidence and the prosecution and all that. Yeah. So Stephen Avery, uh, I don't want to spend terribly too much time on him, but I mean, he is a big part of this case. So he was born July 9th, 1962 in Manitowoc County, Wisconsin. He served 18 years in prison uh, from 1985 to 2003 for the rape and attempted murder. Um, and the conviction was overturned. Um, in his early life, um, he also had an IQ of 70. (gasps) (laughs) That guess. Oh my God. Um, he dropped out of high school. Mm -hmm. So in 1981, he, I don't know how old he is. Okay. When he's 19, He's convicted of burglarizing a bar and served 10 months in jail. Then in 1982, at 20, he pled to guilt, pled guilty to animal cruelty. A lot of people pass this Ew. off. I don't think you can pass it off. No. So he poured gasoline. <gasps> nope. Oh, God. I'm sorry. No. I'm sorry. Everyone else. Trigger warning. Everyone else skip forward. <laughs> he poured gasoline on a cat <gasps> and tossed it into a bonfire. No. Nope. I listened to a podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's the worst day of my life. I listened to a podcast that has behavioral forensic analysts, and they're like, just that alone makes it, him yeah. so likely to commit murder yes. later in his life. He was sentenced to nine months um, after this, so less time than burglarizing oh, a bar. My God. Then in 1984. Um, he's accused by his sister-in-law of physically abusing his wife at the time, Lori. Um, the report filed by Lori's sister stated that Avery beat up on his wife and she left home when, and went to a domestic violence center. So like, he's not like just this like fantastic yeah. guy. Like it just came out of nowhere that he was right. accused of this. Yeah. In 1985, he forced a car that Sandra Morris was driving off of the road and pointed a gun at her. Mm. So Sandra Morris is a cousin who was married to the sheriff's deputy. And Avery claimed that he he wanted her to stop spreading rumors about him. Oh, my God. Um, And before this, in 1984, she filed a complaint alleging that he exposed himself to her multiple times. Oh, my God. Avery received a six-year sentence for the car incident, but he was granted bail. I don't think any of that besides the the driving Sandra Morris off the road was ever put into the uh, documentary. Oh, my gosh. So, just a trigger warning for sexual assault. July 29th, 1985, Penny Bernstein was raped on a beach near Two Rivers, which is the town that um Avery lived in Mm -hmm. um she provided a description of the assailant and the police believed that it resembled Avery so they put a photo array together and Bernstein picked Avery out of the photo array Mm -hmm. and he was arrested 16 people testified he was elsewhere at the time of the attack um and but there was forensic that claimed that hair that was found on one of Avery's shirt was consistent with the victim. Mm-hmm. So in December of 1985, he's convicted of the crime and sentenced to 32 years. So after he's sentenced, people like start talking and they're like, 
I think Gregory A. Allen did. And so there's a lot of weight in this. So he strongly resembles Avery. Mm -hmm. He suspected in other sex crimes. And law enforcement didn't even, like, investigate Allen at all. They just, like, chose Avery. Just one and done. Yeah. Avery um, maintained his innocence. So in 2001, the Wisconsin Innocence Project became involved. And in 2002... um, they granted the court order for DNA testing on the pubic hair found on Penny. I know, so gross. Um, and so in September of 2003, the state lab matched the hair to Alan, who was already in prison for sexual assault. In oh my god! So charges are dropped and Avery's released from prison. Then he files the wrongful conviction lawsuit, mm-hmm. and that's against the county, the DA, and the sheriff. Um. And during the proceedings, all of this, it was discovered that in 1995, the detectives had learned that Allen uh, confessed to committing the sexual assault in Manitowoc County. He was a prisoner in Brown County, and he said that, like, he was talking about it, and he was like, yeah, Yeah. someone else is convicted for what I did. Oh, my gosh. And they, Brown County called Manitowoc County. Yeah. And they, like, just didn't do anything with it. Oh, my God. On to Brendan Dassey. We talked about a little bit about it, but he was subject to four interrogations. The first one was in the squad mm-hmm. car. The second one was on February 27th, 2006. And this came about because um, their cousin, Kayla Avery, who was 15, was talking to a school counselor in January. According to the counselor, she said she was scared because her uncle Stephen Avery had asked one of her cousins to help move a body, <gasps> referring to Dassey mm-hmm. as her cousin. Yeah. The next month on February 20th, investigators, I don't know why it took a month, investigators interviewed Kayla and she told the investigators that Dassey was acting up lately. So he would just stare into space and cry basically uncontrollably. Oh my gosh. And he also, according to her, he lost approximately 40 pounds. So, like, she just thought, wow. like, it was, he yeah. was getting eaten up by it. So, the detectives end up interviewing um, Dassey at the school uh, where there is no guardian or, or mm-hmm. lawyer present. Um, some sources state that the during this interrogation <laughs> or interview, the detectives... The detectives learned that Dassey could easily be pressured into providing incriminating statements. So Dassey was sent back to classes, but then returned to a conference room later after where his mom was there. Mm -hmm. And the police asked him and Barbara, his mom, to come to the police station to conduct a videotaped interrogation. So then the interrogation at Two Rivers Police Station, again, he doesn't have a a lawyer or guardian present Mm -hmm. because the investigators say that they asked Barbara if she wanted to join, but she said that like they never did. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they were necessarily aware of their rights. Yes. Um, This interrogation was the first time that he was read his Miranda warnings and he waived them. And I say that because there's lots of arguments that how can a minor waive their Miranda warnings? What, okay, first of all, what 16-year-old with a low IQ is going to understand what those are? Right. And understand what it means to waive them. Yes, exactly. 
Then on March 1st, 2006, um, he had another videotaped um, interrogation, which played a significant role in Dassey's conviction and appeals, even though there's no corroborating evidence on any of his mm-hmm. confessions. So in the videotape statements, he detailed killing um, Teresa Halbach. And then he stated that he and Avery raped and killed her and then burned her body. But I looked at the transcripts of of this interview mm-hmm. and it's very weird. So they talk about like how's work going uh, or not work. How's school going? How's your girlfriend? How are you doing? So then. Fassbender, one of the interviewers, says, use your memory, memory, not what Stephen, Stephen told you, not what anyone else told you. Be honest because we're going to we're going to be able to tell when you're not being honest. I'm telling you right now. So you're walking down the road and let's pick it up again. OK. And Brennan nods. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then he says, I see him talking. I see him talking to her on his porch and that. And I seen her, her Jeep there and I walked into the, in the house. So, she, and then another detective says, so she's standing means she is Teresa. And he says, uh-huh. And nods. Yes. And like, so throughout this, he's basically just like shaking his head mm-hmm. either. Yes or no. Or he says like, I don't remember. So he's like basically not really talking. And then they're like, come on, Brendan. Yeah, just like feeding it to him. Yeah. And they also do like, your mom said you'd be honest with us and like using that against him. Yeah. And we're in your corner. So it's, if you see the videos of it, it's very coarse. Yeah. I don't think anyone can, can deny that. Yeah. So then Len, uh, Kashinsky. I, I want to say Kashinsky. K A C H I N S K Y. Okay, we're going to call him Len. <laughs> he was appointed to represent Dassey on March 7th. So that's a couple days after his charges. Um, another guy, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. It looks very Polish. <laughs> um, Ralph. Was asked to step down because he was a distant... Ralph or Ralph? Ralph. Ralph. (laughs) Ralph. (laughs) (laughs) He was asked to step down because he's a distant relative of Halbach. So even though Len is appointed to represent Dassey on the 7th, he doesn't meet with Dassey until March 10th. Oh my gosh. But what he did do was have multiple conversations with the media. So he made suggestive and accusatory comments to the media about the confessions made before he even talked to Mm -hmm. Dassey. So he, two quotes, he said, we have a 16 year old who while morally and legally responsible was heavily influenced by someone that can only be described as something close to evil incarnate. So that was one. And then another one referring to him said, Dassey is sad, remorseful and overwhelmed by the charges against him. His own lawyer said that? Yes. So his own lawyer is making him look guilty. Yes. Oh my God. So on March 17th, Dassey had a court appearance 
And while Dassey's at this, uh, Len went to the Nancy Grace show where he told viewers that if the confession was accurate, there is, quite frankly, no defense. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. He's horrible. And I will give attention to Brendan Dassey way more because I think he unfortunately just got like was in the wrong place the wrong time got roped into this many noted that it was obvious he took the prosecution's and investigator side oh he stated that nothing wrong was done or was suggested to dassey during the interrogations oh my god and just to give you a picture in the first three weeks of len representing dassey he spent 10 hours with the press one hour with Dassey. Um, When they finally met, Brendan told him that he wanted to take a polygraph and he wanted to recant the statements, but Len actively did not believe him. So it doesn't matter if you believe (laughs) him or not. I know. So Brendan like is constantly like, keep saying like, can I have a polygraph? Can I have a polygraph? And so Len writes a letter to Dassey indicating that he has identified a polygraph examiner, but he adds, and this is what he writes. But once again, the videotape is pretty convincing that you were being truthful on March 1st. You need to stop thinking about who benefits from what you say and just think about what really happened. What? If a judge or jury thinks you are lying, covering up for Steve or yourself, you are writing yourself a sentence to life imprisonment without parole. If you accept responsibility for what you did and cooperate in Stephen's case, at least one of the Hallbox will ask Judge Fox to go to go relatively easy on you. What? Yeah. So on April 16th, um, Len finally arranges for a polygraph and the results come back inconclusive. And he showed Dassey these results saying like the jury's going to find you guilty during the trial. So you should just plead guilty. Yeah. And he gets like someone else to interview him and like come up with a totally different statement. Len actively allows Dassey to have interviews with the Two Rivers Police Department Mm -hmm. to help the prosecution and to gain evidence. Oh. Like the prosecution to gain evidence. My God. So... In August 12th of 2016, I already talked about how the judge throws out Dassey's conviction. Um, it was ruled that investigators coerced the confession using deceptive tactics. Uh, the Wisconsin authorities appealed both and restored his mm-hmm. conviction. Then the nice. ca- Yeah. The case reached U.S. Court of Appeals in 2017. <clears throat> So it's going through all mm-hmm. of these. And then in June of 2018, the Supreme Court denied hearing Dassey's appeal. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So back to, I'm going to talk about the evidence. If I can freaking scroll fast <laughs> enough. So there is one, two, three, four, five key evidence Five key pieces of evidence. Thank you. Pieces of evidence. <laughs> so the first one is Hallbach's blood in her to- Toyota RAV4. Mm-hmm. So there's several blood stains in the rear cargo that's identified as Hallbach's, which why is your blood in your back seat? Yeah. I don't think I've in ever. Your trunk. Oh, in the trunk? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So forensic analyst testified at least one of the stains came from her bloody hair 
So I'm assuming oh, it was like wow. it was like um I don't know. Like, like when a, you're when you're doing your mascara and you get a line of hair in your like mascara mm-hmm. wand and then like the line like goes on your face. Yes. Have you ever done that? Yes. I'm assuming that's what the the blood yeah. looked like. Um the theory that the prosecution said is that he killed her and then put her in the back of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So this supported it. There was also the next piece of evidence was a spent bullet with Hallbox DNA. So there was a 22 caliber bullet found inside Avery's garage under a portable air compressor. It was positively linked to the rifle found in Avery's house. Um, the bullet had Hallbox DNA mm-hmm. on it. And what's bad about this is the evidence shouldn't have been admissible in court because the control sample was contaminated by one of the forensic analysts oh my gosh and there was a one-time exception to the rule that was filed by the analyst and granted by the court Mm -hmm. so like the court reviewed it and was like yeah it's fine but the defense was like how can you use that because you ruined your control yeah you can't just get someone's dna out of something like you can't just like if you process DNA and and you can't just get someone else's profile, mm-hmm. you just get an inconclusive result. Yeah. So there's no way that they could have just like gotten Teresa's DNA. Oh. In my opinion. Um, skull fragments were found in the burn pit, which showed evidence of beveling on the inner side of the skull portion which can result from a penetrating bullet. Ooh. It can also be a result of blunt force trauma. So if Hallbox, if if Teresa was shot in the head, there would be evidence of high velocity blood spatter. And the absence of blood in the garage suggests that she was shot somewhere else or not shot at all. Um, so the biggest piece of evidence that the series talks about is her key to her car found in Avery's possession Mm -hmm. because it's like I'll talk about it so it's found in the bedroom of Avery's house and the first two times the investigators searched the bedroom they didn't see the key the third time the key was found in plain sight next to the bookcase so the investigator stated that the key was hidden by Avery in the bookcase and fell out when in when they were examining like other contents of the mm-hmm. furniture, um, only DNA, uh, only Avery's DNA was found on the key and keychain, and so the the defense is saying like Hallbox DNA should have been on her own key. Yeah, but this key is a valet key or an aftermarket spare. Oh, so she may have lost her main key for her car and used the valet key for a reason or. Okay, I had a Volkswagen Jetta. They have valet keys that you can like lock the way to your trunk. So oh, like you okay. lock it like how you can access your trunk through your back seat yeah, in your car. I'm- you can lock that and then you can lock your trunk and then you can't open your trunk. Uh-huh. Like valets can't open your trunk. Yeah. So like I used to keep that key in my car all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um so even though it was like in plain sight. I'm going to be real honest. I believe in um, spirits, ghosts, whatever. And I think <gasps> if they weren't finding it, I feel like Teresa was just like, like yeah, 
please find this. Yes. Like, um, and then Avery's blood was found inside Halbach's car. So it's not just one place. Six yeah. different locations throughout Halbach's car. So it's on the right of the ignition, both front seats, on a CD case, and then somewhere near the front passenger mm-hmm. seat. So when Avery was in, uh, was questioned by the police, he had a cut on the right middle finger, which they believe is how all this blood came mm-hmm. about. Because when you're when you're turning on a car, your finger is gonna like yeah get blood everywhere. Um, on November fifth, um, it it was argued that the blood was found, but none of his pr- fingerprints were found, which I don't think really matters because like they're trying to say that he must have been wearing gloves so how can his blood get everywhere if he's wearing gloves but i don't think that that's necessary like maybe they didn't dust for fingerprints maybe they didn't have a clear fingerprint yeah maybe they like i don't i don't know just yeah just because they didn't have his fingerprint doesn't mean that they didn't have like part right fingerprint yeah um and then the burnt remains of Hallbach's body on Avery's property, there was... Yeah, that's pretty suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> there were hundreds of fragments. Oh, my gosh. Um, the burn pit is 20 feet behind Avery's garage, and the bones were intertwined with steel cables from car tires. So, like, he put car tires yeah, in I- it. Um, expert testimony stated that Hallbach's body was burned in the fire pit in which it was found. So like how the bones were like distributed and buried in it shows that like it wasn't like taken from a different fire pit mm-hmm. and put in there and planted. She was burned there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Distribution of the bones and ashes dispute the defense argument that she was burned elsewhere and mm-hmm. transported to the fire pit. So... The prosecution side. Um, so the prosecution states that Halbach went to Avery's house to take pictures of the vehicle, and Avery ended up luring Halbach into his house. Um, he then tied her to his bed and assaulted her and then stabbed her, moved her body to the garage and shot her. Why do they believe that she was tied to the bed? I'm not sure why. That's just very specific. Uh, Like, okay, so when you look up this case, there's not, like, there's stuff on, like, Stephen Avery's past. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot on, like, the evidence that doesn't support him being innocent. Yeah. So I don't know why they thought that. I don't know if that's because of Brendan Dassey's confession. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they're so adamant that she was assaulted, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's mostly because of he was convicted of other yes. assaults. So it would make sense. Right. They then believe that he moved her body to the garage and shot her, which. Well, the bullet was found in the garage. Right. So that makes sense. But the there was no blood spatter in the garage. Oh, yeah. Then he burned her body and personal belongings in the outdoor burn pit. Um. He then removed the license plates from his vehicle from the vehicle and attempted to hide her car in a distant area on the property. He opened the hood and disconnected the battery terminal so the vehicle couldn't start. And while he was doing this, all of this, he cut his middle finger mm-hmm. at some point. 
So the defense side is that Manitowoc Sheriff Department just set up Avery. Mm-hmm. Um, several law enforcement officials were upset with their names being tarnished in the false conviction of Avery previously. So they wanted retribution is what the defense yes. says. Um, they didn't believe that authorities killed Teresa. They believe that someone else did it, but law enforcement planted evidence against Avery to get the arrest warrant mm-hmm. and conviction. And there's this point in the the series, and I truly believed that he was innocent until I listened to the other podcast. It's like um true crime podcast, and it's with behavioral analysts. Yeah. And they point out all the things that the Netflix series didn't talk about. But um, one thing that was weird is that one of the police called in to verify a license plate. Um, And it ended up being Teresa's, Mm -hmm. but it was before the car was found. So, like, there's there's weird stuff like that. And I don't know if that's, I think what is a likely explanation would be that their family knew where she was at last. Mm -hmm. They went to the property illegally. Yes. Searched for his, their car, her car, found it. Yep. Called the police, whatever. Like, there was something that happened. That still doesn't mean that, like, he shouldn't be convicted of it. Yeah. There was also a theory that evidence was planted. So there's a vial with Avery's blood that was collected in connection to the 1985 rape trial. Mm -hmm. It was in the sheriff's department's evidence storage. And the evidence tape on the container had been cut and taped back together with scotch tape. Oh. So... When you open evidence, you break the seal Mm -hmm. of the tape. Then you initial and date that. Yeah. And then when you put it back together, you use evidence tape again. Yeah. And you initial and date it. So, like, there's always... And you try to use a different open... Like, you try to... Like, you would cut a different side of the bag. Yeah. So, the vial had a needle-sized hole in the top... And so the defense stated that someone extracted blood from the vial and planted it in Halbach's car. But what the series didn't discuss is that the vial was called a vacutainer, which requires a needle to be inserted to the top while the blood while the person's blood is being transferred into it. Oh. And the nurse who collected the blood from Avery even signed a statement stating that she put the hole in the top of the tube. Okay. But the nurse is now deceased. So she couldn't test, oh, okay. she couldn't testify. Yeah. Um there was also chain of custody records. So okay, so the evidence container was opened by Avery's previous defense team who represented him in the 1985 trial for the rape on the rape of mm-hmm. Penny, I think was her name. The container was open to extra- extract evidence for the comparison pers- purposes to clear him of the rape. Mm-hmm. So, like, the vial with everything, and I don't know if they didn't close it back up properly yeah. or something, but it was used prior. Like, yes. there's evidence, like, there's, it's noted that it was mm-hmm. used prior. Also, the vacutainer with his blood contained EDTA, so... When you get your blood taken, you have multiple vials that, and they're like all different caps. Yeah. The caps are what, like, solution, 
that's not the right term, but what solution is in the container. Oh. So EDTA is an anticoagulant from keeping to keep the blood liquid. Yep. So they can test it. FBI tested the blood samples found in Hallbach's car for EDTA. Oh. It was a negative result. Mm -hmm. And so the defense says if there was EDTA present, it would be too small for the FBI to detect. So that's why it wasn't present. Okay. I don't believe that. I don't know the limit of detection of EDTA in the blood samples. But, like, I think you would at least, like, be able to detect a little bit. It's not like... It's in a whole solution. Like, yeah. it's not like it separates out. Because mm-hmm. then it would coagulate. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Teresa Halbach um, doesn't get her story told a lot. Again, even just Google searching her name comes up with a ton of stuff on Stephen Avery, which is mm-hmm. really sad. And... um. I also want to point out, they, they tried to say that he couldn't have burned her body in the fire pit. I forgot about this. Because a fire pit wouldn't get that hot to burn a body. So I never looked this up, but most fire pits reach anywhere between 600 and 1200 degrees Fahrenheit. It takes 1400 to 1800 degrees Fahrenheit to cremate human remains fully mm-hmm. into ashes and charred bone fragments were found yeah in the burn pit so i don't think it's like crazy to believe that he burned her body yeah so i'm i'm glad someone's away for her murder if that's not the right person that sucks i think it's the right person mm-hmm. and i just hope that you know our story gets one more Google page on her name. Yeah, so she gets yeah at least a little bit more attention because I feel really Netflix, bad for yeah, her Netflix and her does family. That a lot. It just it sucks. Yeah. So I think she she's she's the obvious victim, but so many other places just try to say that like. Stephen Avery's the victim because yeah was, and it's all focused on him yeah and which even if he's not even if he is innocent of this still doesn't make him a good person he also still gets to live yeah like mm-hmm. she doesn't yes so I don't know I also that's horrible that- I remember when this came out and mm-hmm. oh wow yeah and I feel bad for believing the Netflix documentary and not doing my own research but, yeah, I hope that Brennan Dassey gets the recognition that he needs. And I'm glad that the next Netflix series did that for yes. him. Um, but Stephen Avery has, like, a really famous lawyer for for um, convic- convicting innocent people. Mm-hmm. And I'm really worried if he gets yeah. out. Yeah. Because he's been, he's exposed himself. He's killed animals. <sighs> In he's, horribly horrendous ways. Yeah. He's abused not only his previous wife, but his girlfriend. Yes. Uh, at some point in the documentary. He abused her as well. Um, he went to jail for... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And I'm not saying that the, the police department was totally innocent. Yes. 
But also, I can't imagine having a job where you know who did something and you can't convict them. Mm-hmm. That, I hate those cases yes. where they're like, I know exactly who did yep. it, but we are just waiting mm-hmm. for one more thing. Oh my so, gosh. That's the story of Teresa Halbach. Wow. That's all I got. Thank you. You're welcome. Sorry that I ruined your day with the cat. That was terrible. Don't ever talk about it ever again. I'm sorry. You don't ever need to bring it up. It really bothers me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that proves that you're a psychopath. mm -hmm. If you ever want to listen to um, really good, I mean, I really like true crime podcast. I know some people who don't like it because the guy on there is a little aggressive, but I think he just like really cares. Yeah, I get that. Um, But yeah, they do a really good job of like analyzing all of his background and saying like, there's no way he didn't do it mm-hmm. because his behavior is consistent with it. Yeah. And also behavioral analysts look at the victim and then yes. backtrace to a person. Mm-hmm. And they, they do that in yeah. the case. And they're like, this is the attributes of the person who would have killed her. Mm-hmm. And it's like all Stephen Oh, my gosh. So, so that that's Teresa Hallbach. And I feel really bad that, I mean, like, she's got four siblings, two parents. Mm-hmm. and. She never got to see her nieces and nephews That's grow so up. Sad. She loved the farm. I don't know what happened with the farm. Yeah. But yeah. I hope it's thriving. I hope so, too. Do you want a you asked You asked what kind of animals were on the farm, and I forgot it was a dairy farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said probably cows. It was cows. Yeah. Do you want a palate cleanser? Yes, please. Trees can make friends and talk to each other. What? If you ever thought... You heard whispering in the willows. You might be right. Ecologists release surprising research indicating that trees communicate through their closely connected root systems by sending messages via soil fungi. So what do trees talk about? Everything from sharing sunlight with their neighbors or to warn about environmental changes. This is according to Peter Wallabin, author of The Hidden Life of Trees, what they feel, and how they communicate. What? How would you even determine that? No. What I'm picturing is, you know, in the very first Avatar, the very first, like, blue person Avatar, where she has that, like, iPad thing, and she sticks a needle into a tree root, and on the iPad, it, like, shows the tree systems and shows how they're all connected to each other. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I was picturing in my head. Like, I just picture. Somehow it's like tapping into their root system. I just picture the root systems like holding hands. Yeah. Like, like, hey. Hey. <laughs> it's going to storm today. If you need to hold my hand, you can. Oh. That's cute. All right. I got pee. Okay. Thanks well, for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You're the one that closes it. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Aesthetically Displeasing Pod, on Facebook at Aesthetically Displeasing, and send us um, emails to Aesthetically Displeasing Pod at gmail.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.